Tacos didn't come. There you have it. The tacos didn't come. I don't think he's, he'll ever be a 14. I think, uh, I think that was probably my favorite little sound clip that I heard. Um, that was Spencer Burford. 49ers rookie left tackle slash guard offensive lineman that we took in the fourth round. I just thought that was hilarious. Uh, Niners released uh, just a video today of him talking about getting drafted. And Spencer Burford, he is he is funny, man. I don't know what it is, but his personality, I just find it freaking hilarious. Him talking to the, uh, the beat writers about golf. Um, and then this whole like taco story about he was ordering tacos on the phone. He got the call to get drafted. Ah, good stuff. How we doing? How we doing? Welcome back. I've, uh, been trying to do a little bit of scouting for a couple other players. Obviously we just had the rookie mini camp and, uh, as always, you know, with life, it's, Difficult for me to come on here and uh, put forth enthusiasm and energy. Uh, my last episode, I was pretty exhausted, so it probably came through. And luckily, I'm I'm feeling a little, a little bit more energetic for this one. So we got a lot to cover. Um, but yeah, tacos, they didn't come. <laughs> Sorry, that's too funny. Um, anyways, though, we got, uh, we got a lot of, a lot of stuff to talk about today. The schedule was released, uh, rookie mini camp happened. The rookies had a bunch of interviews. And of course we have two more, uh, draft prospects to talk about today, uh, that we drafted Danny Gray and of course Spencer Burford. So I guess I'll first just start out with the schedule. The schedule is officially out. Um, I'm just going to pull it up here. But I'm not going to go through this whole thing of, you know, who's going to win what and, uh, you know, make a whole, like, season. Um, I'm, I'm not going to make a full, like, season project projection of who's going to win what and everything. I'm just going to walk through the games. So let's see here. All right, so first game of the season for the 49ers officially starts out with the 49ers going to Chicago to face the Bears. And obviously the biggest headline about this for opening week, and this is September 11th at 10 a.m. So we got a morning game. Um... Yeah, sorry, just uh, trying to figure out the appropriate way to say September 11th um, and just kind of go through it. But, you know, 20 years ago, all that stuff that happened. Uh, but anyways, so we open September 11th at 10 a.m. And we're going against the Bears. Biggest headline is going to be Trey Lance versus Justin Fields. And obviously Justin Fields... A lot of people thought he might have been the p- guy at pick three. That's who I thought the Niners would get at pick three was Justin Fields. I was all in on him. Here we are with Trey Lance. I'm very happy. Justin Fields struggled a good bit his first year. 
and Trey Lance sat for most of his first year. So it's going to be interesting to see the headlines, the development. Um, I do think that this is probably one of the easier games to start the season. Uh, you got a quarterback who struggled. You got a, a new head coach. I believe he's a rookie head coach. They don't necessarily have a great um, set of offensive weapons around Justin Fields. They've got a solid defense, but they also lost Khalil Mack. So I do think that this is probably one of the easier ways to start the season is a road game in Chicago. Nice thing about this also is it's Chicago, but it's also in September, so it shouldn't be crazy cold or anything like that. After that, the Niners come home and they open against the Seahawks. So September 18th, we got a 1 p.m. game against the Seahawks. The who knows who's going to be quarterbacking the Seahawks. It might be the fighting Drew Locks. It might be the fighting Geno Smiths. Um, it could be Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo for all we know. Um, the Seahawks, they're a terrible team. They no longer have Russell Wilson. And a lot of people refer to him as the boogeyman. Um, but this, again, it. This is a game where it's one of the easier games to start out the season. So we get a couple that aren't too difficult. Um, but yeah, it's. I will say I, I do think that the Seahawks had a pretty good draft. Um, that's just my opinion. Honestly, usually the last like five or six years, I've been saying the Seahawks have been drafting just terribly. And it showed because their team is so bad um, and has been bad the last couple of years. Uh They've just been so bad at drafting. Carroll's a solid coach, but you can only coach up bad talent so much. And without Russell Wilson, I'm pretty sure they're going to really struggle this year. That should be another win. Then we have our first real challenge of the season. And on September 25th, 5.20 p.m., I believe this is Sunday Night Football. Um, but we are going to... Denver to face the Russell Wilson led Denver Broncos. And this is probably going to be a very challenging game. Um, Broncos are really good. They've just had very bad quarterback play ever since uh, Peyton Manning left. And even Peyton Manning's last season there. I mean, they won the Super Bowl, but he wasn't amazing. They haven't had a good quarterback in a few years. Now they have a very good quarterback. And uh, unfortunately, we do still have to pay, play Russell Wilson. Luckily, it's only once this season. And also, luckily, it's not in our division or even our conference. So that's pretty good. Should be a fun game. But again, Broncos, very good team. Uh, good quarterback. They've got weapons. Should be a fun game. I'm excited about that. After that, uh, we go back home and we host the Los Angeles Rams on October 3rd and let me check here I'm trying to look here at the calendar all right so October 3rd Monday night so we go from a Sunday night game and then we get a little extra day and then we host Monday night football against the Rams should be a fun game again uh, these division games are always good um, I would love it if we could get back to beating the Rams it's going to be curious to see how good the Rams are this season. Uh, are they just going to keep rolling with, you know, their 
their uh, Super Bowl winning performance last season. They were a really good team. Obviously, they won the Super Bowl. Are they going to be able to maintain that or are they not? And I know a lot of people are talking about, like, how do they sign everybody? Well, they also lose a lot of people. So, yes, they signed Bobby Wagner. Yes, they signed Allen Robinson. They also don't have Robert Woods, don't have Odell Beckham Jr. They don't have Andrew Whitworth. They don't have Vaughn Miller. Uh, you know, they, they lost a lot more than they gained. So, yes, they signed a couple guys. They also lost, like, eight starters on their team. So... Curious to see how the Rams do. Obviously, their philosophy is we're going to get basically two or three of the best in the league on each side of the ball and then just kind of fill in the rest. Uh, it's worked for them, you know, but uh, we are 6-1 and one against the Rams over the last seven meets. So it would be nice to win that again. After that, we have a semi-short week, about six days, and then we travel over to the East Coast for our back-to-back -back road games, where on October 9th, we go against the Carolina Panthers. This does not necessarily look like an interesting game, unless, unless Jimmy G gets traded to the Panthers. There was a rumor that went around. Somebody said it's still a possibility. I don't know. I still think it's the best spot for him, uh, but, you know, they they have Sam Darnold. They did draft a kid. I forget who, but they drafted a quarterback, and, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, still really not sure what's going on with Jimmy. I am. Uh, I think they're still trying to trade him, but they're probably not going to do anything until, at the very least, he can pass a physical. So we're still probably looking at about two months until something happens on that front. Unless, of course, the rookies, the rookie quarterback class ends up just being total trash. Um, so, you know, say that they say the Panthers see Sam Darnold and they're like, we can't do this again. And then they see whoever their rookie is and they're like, wow, there's no way that's going to happen. And then they get desperate and they trade for Jimmy. Uh, but I don't think Jimmy's going to move anywhere until uh, late June, early July. At the very least, until he can pass a physical, uh, more likely training camp. And who knows? It could be that he actually stays with us all the way through preseason. I don't think it makes sense to play him at all, because if he does have a season-ending injury, uh, that 25 or whatever million dollars is guaranteed. But we can also cut him on final 53 roster cuts and him not have any guarantees other than that like $1 million dead cap hit. So we can save $25 million anytime that he can pass a physical by cutting him. Uh, I do not think that Jimmy is on this team at $25 million when the season starts. Either he's getting traded, he's getting cut, or he is taking a big pay cut. Trey Lance is the starter. They've already admitted that they tried to trade Jimmy. Uh, and then the shoulder surgery somehow happened. So... Anyways, enough about that Jimmy tangent, but it would be fun. This game would be a lot more interesting, this Panthers game, if it was a Jimmy G revenge game. I think that would make this a very, very fun game. Um, and Jimmy G can throw to his favorite receiver, Fred Warner. Uh, <laughs> reference to uh, last year's training camp when Fred picked off Jimmy like five times. 
after that, they're probably going to stay on the East Coast because after the Panthers, they play the Falcons. And the Falcons are either going to have Marcus Mariota or Desmond Ritter uh, playing quarterback for them. I believe those are two back-to-back games where we should be able to win. The Niners like to do their East Coast road games. They stay over there. They'll probably stay at the Greenbrier or something like that. Uh, or somewhere in Florida. They uh, they like to do that, and it makes sense. It's worked for them. It seems like whenever they do these back-to-back East Coast games and they stay over there, they go 2-0. So I'm kind of hoping for that. We come home, and then we get to face the team that still haunts me, the Kansas City Chiefs. They beat us in the Super Bowl two years ago. This could be a very fun game. And uh, we're hosting the Chiefs, so this would be a great game to watch Trey Lance and Patrick Mahomes just duel it out. It could be real fun. And by this point, we will probably have a good idea about how good Trey Lance is, um, or at least how good he's going to be that season, because this will be game six. So it should be real fun. After that, uh, we go to the L.A. Rams. For our second Rams meeting on October 30th. So it's like a Halloween Eve afternoon game. 1.30 game. I guess technically 1.25. So yeah, that'll be interesting. And then we have the bye week. So we have a bye week. Good time for a bye week, by the way. Uh, after, what was that, like week 8 of the season? So yeah, it's like, uh, let's see here. So one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight. So after eight games, they get a week nine bye right in the middle of the season. It's pretty great. And then we get to come back from our bye week and host the LA Chargers. That should also be a very fun game. Um, again, you get Trey Lance, you get. Um, brain just died. <laughs> uh, Justin Herbert. And that could be another fun one where you got, you know, two athletic, big arm quarterbacks with just chucking the ball around the field. That could be a very fun game. Uh, And November 13th, that is a, let's see here, a Sunday night game. So Sunday night football. So that should be a fun one. After that, after Sunday night football, we get eight days and then we go to Mexico and the Niners go to Mexico City to face the Cardinals. Uh, This should be a good one. This is the first matchup against the Cardinals, and technically this is a Cardinals home game, but I have a feeling the Niners are going to be better represented there. I am very excited. I'm planning on going to this game. Uh, My girl and I agreed to it, so we're going to go down there. And uh, shout out John Chapman and The Rush. Uh, 49ers rush road trip. I'm going to be signing up with that and just making a whole thing out of it. And I've never been to Mexico, so it should be awesome. So that should be a fun game. Uh, Cardinals are a very interesting team to watch. They had a weird draft where they decided like, hey, what we really need is, you know, eight wide receivers and three tight ends. And uh, we don't need defense. I don't know why they do what they do. It doesn't really make sense. Um, but hey, you know, if we're facing the Cardinals and what is that week, uh, week 11, week 12, 
Uh, that's usually when the Cardinals start to kind of fall apart. Uh, after the Mexico game, we come home and we host the Saints. Saints are an interesting team because they might be really good or not. They have a new head coach, but they also have a lot of the same players uh, from last year when they started out 5-2 and two, uh, with Jameis Winston. He tore his ACL, and then they almost uh, took that 7 seed that we ended up getting, or the 6 seed or whatever. Um, we barely made the playoffs last season. We had to win that game against the Rams in order to get in. So, yeah, that's, this could be a good one. Also, again, uh, this late in the season, you're potentially talking about, um, you know, conference record. That matters. So the Saints might be interesting. Um, Jameis Winston likes it aired out. Will Michael... Um, What's his name? Michael Thomas. Yeah. He hasn't played in like over a year. So will he be back? Um, very curious. After that, we host another game. We actually have three games in a row that we're hosting. So we're hosting the Saints. Uh, we're also hosting the Cardinals in uh, Mexico City. Just don't tell the Cardinals that. So we're hosting the Chargers, the Cardinals, the Saints. <laughs> uh, then we host the Dolphins. So Mike McDaniel with uh, Tyreek Hill and Raheem Mostert and Tua are going to come to the Bay Area. Uh, they're going to face off December 4th at 1 o'clock. So that should be a fun game. Uh, there's a lot of really fun games on here. I got to say, I'm, there's not very many games where I'm like, that looks like a boring game. Very few of them. Uh, like boring games, honestly, I'm thinking like uh, Panthers, Falcons, uh, probably the first Seahawks game. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Dolphins at the 49ers. That should be a fun one. Mike McDaniel, you know, the uh, the teacher, the master and the student, the teacher and the protege or whatever. Uh, then we host the Tom Brady-led Buccaneers. And again, this is a game where this could be a playoff preview. Maybe we will need to face off against the Buccaneers in the playoffs to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, that could be a storyline at this point, you know, in the final stretch of the season, December 11th at uh, 125. Obviously, there's going to be the whole Tom Brady and uh, the whole Tom Brady was wanted to go to the 49ers and then went to the Buccaneers. That whole storyline is going to be overplayed. Tom Brady grew up and rooting for the Niners and et cetera, et cetera. That'll be for sure overplayed and overpromoted. After those, uh, you know, wink, wink, five home games in a row, we go to the Seahawks December 15th at 12.15. So December 15th is a Thursday night game. So kind of a short week there, Thursday night game. Uh, luckily, the Seahawks are not a long trip from Santa Clara. Uh, you know, just a couple hour flight, nothing too bad. This will be another game that I go to, uh, being that I live about two hours away from the Seattle Stadium. Um I've been trying to make every 49ers Seahawks game for uh, the last, uh, like, basically the last, uh, ever since I could because of COVID. <laughs> uh, 
I wasn't able to go to uh, wasn't able to go to one pre-COVID, but since then uh, I'm trying to make it to every one since I'm not too far away. So yeah, Seahawks 49ers again. Hopefully this time, um, you know, facing off against the Drew Lock, Geno Smith, terrible Seahawks. Uh, we get that win there. Cross our fingers. Go back home Christmas Eve, 1 p.m. We get to host the Washington Commanders. And the Commanders are an interesting team because they might be good. Last year, they almost made the playoffs with Taylor Heineke. Uh, they have Carson Wentz. And as much as I'm not really a fan of Carson Wentz, he seems to always beat the 49ers. Um, you know, last year he beat us with the Colts. Uh, a couple of years ago, he beat us with the Eagles. So I don't know what it is with Carson Wentz beating us, but he does. Uh, they've also got a couple solid weapons there, solid team. Uh, Shanahan would obviously love to beat the Washington football team. He can't stand them, uh, you know, obviously due to their past. Um, it's also interesting because a lot of the uh, 49ers staff, though, have been kind of poached over there. I think that they uh, they took one of our staff as a GM, and I think they also took one of our assistant coaches recently. So the Carson Wentz Commanders, uh, I still feel like they're the football team, or we could call them the commies. <laughs> the Washington commies. Uh, after that, we get New Year's Day at the Raiders. That should be another really fun one. Again, the Raiders, they're probably going to be a good, a really good team. Uh, they're in a tough division. They're going to be fighting for their playoff hopes and dreams. Uh, and they're loaded. I mean, geez, Derek Carr, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro. Um, obviously, they picked up Devontae Adams. So there's all that. Um, on defense, I mean, Max Crosby, who somehow was an all pro and Nick Bosa wasn't, which is bullshit. Um, but anyways, Max Crosby, they picked up Chandler Jones. Uh, so they've got some guys. Um, I haven't been following them super close, but you know, they, they had a solid year last year, despite everything that was going on and they got better and they're in a crazy division. So it should be a fun game. Uh, and that stadium is, uh, it's interesting. I remember going to Vegas for the draft and seeing it from the outside. That thing is, it's crazy looking. Looks like some Death Star thing. And then to finish the season, what better way to finish the season than hosting the Arizona Cardinals? So, two home games against the Cardinals. <laughs> uh, January 8th, time to be determined. Um... At this point during the season, Kyler Murray is usually not playing that well. Cliff Kingsbury has used up his entire playbook. And, uh, you know, crossing our fingers at this point that we, uh, if we don't have the playoffs locked up, uh, this will be obviously a very important game, uh, definitely for playoff seeding. Um, I'm, I'm pretty confident the Niners are going to the playoffs this season. Um, I have faith in Trey, and I think the rest of the team is still very good, as well as a really good coaching staff that we have. Between great coaching staff, great development, great talent on the team all around, um, my faith in Trey, I'm pretty confident we're going to the playoffs. Uh, this game will likely determine seeding. 
Uh, so it should be a good one. And uh, what better way to finish off the season than by hosting a uh, division rival, if you can call them a rival. So that is the schedule. Um, looks pretty good. Looks like a fun schedule. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of good games. There doesn't seem to be like a really treacherous stretch or anything. Um, but you know, it's also May. So who the fuck knows? <laughs> who knows? Like, you know, any one of these teams, there could be a blockbuster trade or, you know, maybe there's some huge injury that happens some point. Um, looking at the schedule in May and saying win, loss, win, win, loss, loss, win, loss. I mean, if I were to look at it right now real quick and just kind of spitball it, I would say uh, just starting off the season, win, win, loss, uh, win, win, win. Uh, so that's four and one. I could see a loss against the Chiefs, a loss against the Rams. So maybe we split those two. So that's four and three. Chargers, you know, after the bye week, if we're, you know, who knows? I mean, at that point, you know, uh if we're, what is that, uh, five and five and three, I could see that realistically. We could come out, lose a game, uh, you know, five and four. Then we could win against the Cardinals in Mexico. So six and four, win against the Saints, seven and four. Dolphins, eight and four. Buccaneers, maybe we lose that one, eight and five. Seahawks, nine and five. Commanders, uh, 10 and five lose to the Raiders 10 and six uh, win against the Cardinals 11 and six. There you go. 11 and six. And we're going to the playoffs. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's the schedule. Uh, moving on to the other stuff. I wanted to talk just a little bit about rookie minicamp and a few interview takeaways. Uh, the big takeaway for me with rookie minicamp uh, simply was Vic Fangio was there. Um, before we get into the interviews, it is very interesting that former 49ers defensive coordinator during the Harbaugh era, Vic Fangio, uh, former Broncos head quarterback or head coach, that Vic Fangio, he was a, I forget the technical term, but he was a special guest and he went there and was present during rookie minicamp. Um, it was rumored that Vic Fangio was interested in having a role with the 49ers potentially this season in some type of a consultant position. I believe the reason that that didn't happen was due to uh, contract language uh, where I think it's something to do where his uh, the Broncos fired him for the head coaching position. Uh, and he's still, I think, getting paid some of that contract on the condition that he doesn't have another NFL job. Um, I think that's kind of how that works. So as long as he's not working for another NFL team this year in any capacity, he's still like finishing out the last year of whatever like that contract is. Um, so that's why he's not officially in any capacity uh, going to be with the team. But I really like this because... Vic Fangio, we had some amazing defenses with him. I think he's a very good defensive coach. And we've seen with D'Amico Ryans, D'Amico Ryans was incredible last year. As a rookie defensive coordinator, he got coaching interviews. And he could 100% be gone after this next season. It would be great if after this next season, um, if 
D'Amico Ryans does get a head coaching job, how great would it be just to have Vic Fangio swing in as a defensive coordinator and just pick up where we left off? So uh, very interesting just to see him there. Obviously, this is all you know rumors and kind of tinfoil hat, and nobody really knows what's going on. Um, where there's smoke, there's fire, and Vic Fangio being at rookie minicamp, I think that they want to unofficially work with him in some capacity this season so that if we lose D'Amico Ryans to a head coaching position, we can bring in Vic Fangio as a defensive coordinator. So that was, to me, the biggest takeaway out of a rookie minicamp. Um, obviously, I didn't have a chance to go there. Uh, some of the beat writers, they had their commentary. They posted their videos. Um what I did hear is that Danny Gray was the most impressive player at rookie minicamp on the field. And that is something that you do really like to hear. Um, obviously, there wasn't uh, there wasn't enough players for full 11 on 11s. It was mostly 7 on 7, which means we didn't get to see, you know, Drake Jackson versus Spencer Burford or Drake Jackson versus Zakel or, uh, you know, Donovan West or Jason Poe. Going up against, uh, who was it, that undrafted defensive tackle that we got, Kevin Atkins, um, Kalia Davis, he's still recovering from his ACL, so obviously he's not doing any stuff. There was a really cool photo of Drake Jackson doing that like circle hoop drill, and the bend that that guy has and how low he can get is ridiculous. Um, I can't wait to watch his, uh, his speed moves and just like turning the corner around, uh, around offensive tackles. Very exciting. The The kid has unteachable traits. I will say that. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's the rookie minicamp stuff. As far as interview takeaways, I'm just going to go over a few of them. Um, <laughs> obviously, I opened the episode with Spencer Burford. Uh, I just put down fun interview. I love his personality. I was laughing my ass off at his golf comments, how... Um, I don't know what it is about Spencer Burford, but he just has this kind of, uh, it's, it's almost like he doesn't try to be funny, but his comedic timing is just perfect. I don't know how he does. He's just one of those like people who naturally can just kind of set something up, deliver a line and it just, it kills. Uh, but hearing him talk about golf was freaking hilarious. He said he, uh, was brought in, he could play guard or offensive tackle. Um, but yeah, I'd, Spencer Burford, love his personality. He was he was probably one of my favorites. Uh, Ty Davis Price, running back. A um, couple things that I took away from him. Number one was he is all about just being a champion. He's, you know, I was a champion in high school. I was a champion in college. I want to be a champion here. So you love to hear that. He said that he was going to be, his playing weight would probably be around 220, uh, up to maybe 222. Uh, so that kind of gives us an idea about how big of a back he's going to be. Uh, when he when he uh, did his testing at the combine, he tested at 211 and ran the 44840. In college, though, it was believed that he played closer to 227, 230. Uh, so it sounds like they want him in that kind of 220 to 225 range. He said 220, 222. So he's definitely going to be a bigger, more powerful back. Uh, for reference, Elijah Mitchell last year, 
uh, was playing mostly around uh, 200 to 205, and he wanted to bulk up to about 210, 215. So Ty Davis Price is going to be big, powerful, run hard. Um, I thought it was interesting that he said that he was a he ran track in high school and he ran a 10.6 100 meter, uh, which is crazy. Just uh, and he did it at like 230 pounds in high school, like people that big moving that fast. It just kind of scares you when you realize the humans that we're dealing with here in the NFL, um, especially like I'm five, eight. I'm, I'm a little like five, eight guy, like five, eight, one eighty. I like to lift weights and go running and whatnot. But like, I see these NFL players and I'm like, yeah, you could definitely murder me. <laughs> I'm like, I, I am not built for this, but Ty Davis price six foot two twenty, He is built for this. Um, yeah. And he just wants to run hard. He, that was the big thing is he wants to run hard. He ran fast he said, people better not underestimate my speed and 220 pounds running angry at you. Um, again, I didn't like the idea of taking a running back in the third round, but that doesn't mean that we can't uh, like the player and what he's going to bring to the team. So I'm excited to see some some power running with a bit of speed from Ty Davis Price. Um, Nick Zakelj was interesting. Uh, the sixth round pick and... Just crazy smart guy. Uh, he already has, I think he's only like 21 years old. He already has a master's in business analytics. And he was talking about, I don't know, some kind of like baseball analytics stuff. And uh, you could definitely tell that he is super, super intelligent. Um, and I know Fordham isn't a, uh, a big foot college football program. Uh, but it is a very prestigious school from an educational point of view. It's one of the smaller prestigious like uh, educational schools. So getting a master's in business analytics at 21 years old from Fordham, you can tell he's extremely intelligent. Uh, he is an elite level athlete. I think he tested 90th percentile in pretty much everything. Um, I'm excited to watch the tape too. I watched a, a John Chapman film breakdown of uh, Zakelj and... Uh, kid can move. I, I'm going to, I'm going to have fun watching that film. Um, but yeah, I could just, he came off as extremely intelligent and I could definitely see he is a hundred percent, a developmental prospect. Um, maybe he's older than that. Maybe he's like 22 or whatever. I forget. But point being is while he is a sixth round pick and he's kind of developmental, he's got some elite, testing numbers he's lacking a little bit in terms of length but if you want somebody who can be coached up um just you know using elite physical traits and an elite mind and somebody who's very coachable um with Fordham not being the biggest college school I am sure that he is going to get much much better coaching in terms of like technical offense, technical aspects of offensive line play from the 49ers than he was from the Fordham coaching staff. So I could definitely see Zakelj developing into a, a quality center or guard. Uh, I don't think he's going to stay at a stay at tackle, um, but I could definitely see him developing into a center. I think that's probably the best option 
um, as far as his potential career goes moving forward. Um, also, uh, Danny Gray, one thing that I, a couple of things I liked about Danny Gray, um, he talked about, he ran a 10, five, 100 in high school. So hundred meters in 10.5 seconds. That's crazy. Um, he was asked about blocking and he said, yeah, no block, no rock. So you love that. Somebody who understands the importance of blocking and is willing to, that did show up on the tape. We'll talk about that here in a second. Um, there was also a question asked about catching a ball from a quarterback who has a very strong arm. And he mentioned that he uh, had actually uh, worked out a little bit with Kaepernick uh, when Kaepernick went down to uh, Dallas for a workout. Um, so that was kind of interesting that he uh, went down or when Cap was going down doing one of his workouts, uh, he actually his uh, I think the the uh, coach, the wide receiver coach or whatever that he was uh, working with at the time, uh, they made that connection and he was able to go catch passes from Kaepernick. We all know Kaepernick's got a cannon for an arm. Um, you know, regardless of what you think about his, uh, his football play or his politics, uh, Kaepernick had a, had a real strong arm. So good to see that he, uh, spent some time catching balls, uh, with some velocity on him. So, uh, those are the main ones. Uh, definitely encourage you to go watch the, uh, the interviews. I think, uh, I think they're posted now on the Niners YouTube page where they've got all the interviews. Um, I think, uh, also is David Lombardi who posted, uh, all the clips on his page as well. So definitely recommend checking those out, but let's get into the scouting report. So, we already did our first two. We did Drake Jackson, who is, uh, he's got Gumby level bend. He's got long arms. He's got speed. Um, just great athletic traits. And he's very young, 21 years old, lots of room to develop, perfect coaching system. And he's a player who you're betting on the traits and the person and your own ability to coach and develop a kid. And I think that his best time, I mentioned this, that I think his best years are going to be year year three is probably when he's going to break out big time. Uh, year one, anything from him is solid. We're 12 deep on the D-line right now. And uh, year two, I think he's going to start catching on. Year three, I think, is going to be the true Drake Jackson year. Uh, we also talked about Ty Davis-Price. Um Powerful runner, downhill, lowers his pads, run behind his pads, uh, good vision. He's got a flexible lower half, enough that he can turn the corner. Uh, he doesn't have elite speed or elite acceleration. He's got good speed. He's got good acceleration. Uh, he's not going to make you miss, but he's going he's gonna to find the hole. He's going to hit the hole. He's going to... As soon as he finds that hole, he's got good footwork, you know, weaving through traffic. And then as soon as he hits that hole, he's going to explode over that and then run through anybody in the way. And it's going to take three guys to drag him down because he's a powerful runner. So we've already got those two out of the way. And uh, now I want to talk about Danny Gray. Um, honestly, this is probably the pick that I am most excited about. And the reason for that is because of what he does for the offense. 
So Danny Gray, he's our third round pick, basically the end of the third round, six foot tall, 186 pounds. His final season, he had 49 receptions, 803 yards, nine touchdowns, 16.4 yards per catch. He also had 8.6 yards after catch per catch, which ranked 11th out of all wide receivers in the draft. So 4-3 speed, he is a deep threat speed guy, yards after catch, and uh, he'll take the top off it of a defense and he can run a he can run, you know, a mean post, he can run a go route, and he can also take a slant to the house because he's got that four three speed where he can just outrun everybody and he's got good enough vision that he can work his way through traffic, use that speed, and get through. So what does that do to the offense? The thing that excites me most about this is just that it basically shows you what Shanahan is kind of planning for this season. Um, And I've mentioned this a couple times is that Shanahan likes to have a speed guy. Obviously it's always good to have somebody to threaten deep. And what that does is it forces the defense to be honest. When you have a deep, when you have a deep speed threat, And you have a quarterback who can and will go deep. Trey Lance, great deep ball thrower. You you watch his uh, North Dakota State University college tape, and he was great at the deep ball. Um, He struggled a little bit with some different things in terms of mechanics and some accuracy things, but that was more in like the short and intermediate. You look at his deep ball accuracy and his arm strength, And those, that definitely stood out. So we've got a quarterback with a huge arm who has a really good deep ball. And now we're giving him a guy with 4-3 speed. That's going to force the defenses to back up. So whether that means that they're going to be forced to play off coverage or they're going to be forced to play more cover two, two deep safeties, maybe more cover four. Either way, it's going to force them to back off. And that is going to make things easier in the run game. Because if you're forcing them to back off and be either in like a two high or a four high, you know, either like a a two high shell or a cover four shell, um, they don't, you don't get that extra player in the box. You know, you don't, we're not going to see eight man boxes like we did with Jimmy Garoppolo when they would put seven, eight, nine guys in the box. That is not going to be happening. Because they're going to say, hey, we can't crowd the box because if Danny Gray gets loose, that's a 70-yard touchdown just waiting to happen. Because Trey can just air it out and, hey, Danny Gray, go get it. I don't think there's a single corner in our division who runs a 4-3-3. I think I saw somebody post within the last day or two that the fastest corner in our division, uh, Marco Wilson, with the uh, Cardinals, who was a rookie last year, I think he ran a 4-3-7. So there's not a single defensive back in our division that I'm aware of that has 4-3-3 speed. So they're going to have to respect that. Now, when you force them to back off, it does a couple things. Number one, takes an additional player out of the box. So we're going to have lighter boxes, which is going to help in the run game. Um, and then on top of that, 
it's also going to open up the underneath passing. So whether that is just with, uh, you know, whether you're running like a clear out route out of the slot where you just have Danny Gray from the slot, just like run like run vertical out of the slot, clear out some things so that somebody can come open underneath. Or if you have him run just a go route on the outside and then somebody else coming out in the flat or a crosser underneath that, um, it is going to open up so many intermediate passes just having a guy with that speed, with that threat to take the top off the defense. There's going to be so many 15, 20, 25 yard uh, intermediate passing opportunities that are opened up uh, because of the addition of Danny Gray to the offense. Um, so just he's, he's going to threaten things vertically. If you can stretch the field vertically, that makes things obviously easier in the run game without the box. Um, we obviously also want to threat uh, spread the field horizontally, which is what a lot of the uh, play action, especially the outside zone runs, and then the play action bootlegs. That's gonna that's gonna stretch the field horizontally, and then when you add in the vertical threat of Danny Gray, that's gonna stretch the field vertically. So now. You're getting a stretch vertical where they got a backup. You're getting a stretch horizontally where they got to guard the whole width of the field. It opens up running lanes. It opens up underneath passes. And of course, if they do decide to crowd the box and they do decide to crash down on those intermediate routes where, you know, you get Ayuk wide open for 20 yards or Debo catching it 15 yards and then taking it another 15 yards on some run after catch. If they do finally decide to crash down on that, then Danny Gray, again, can take it to the house for 70 or 80-yard touchdowns. So very excited to see what Danny Gray does to really, truly open up uh, this offense. Now, that being said, Danny Gray is not perfect. There is a reason why he lasted to the back of the third round. And again, I love the pick. I'm so excited about this. Um, but he needs to work on some things. Um, he is very tough. I do like how tough he is. I remember him telling a story about when he was seven years old, he was playing football. He started playing football like four years old. He was like six or seven years old playing football. He got hit. He got a bloody nose. And his coach was like, doesn't matter. Be tough. Go back out and play. And, uh, that's kind of been his mentality. So I do really like how tough he is. Um, he fights for yards. He's not afraid of contact. Um, but he's not a strong runner. He is, he's not physically strong. He's not going to be breaking tackles. Uh, he's just going to outrun guys and he's fearless. So I love his fearlessness and I love his speed things that he needs to work on. It's, Mostly just a lot of uh, a lot of technical things. Um, so he needs to work on his route running. Um, a couple of things that I noticed on his route running, um, I I felt like his breaks were not that good. Um, you know, when you're like breaking on an in route or breaking on an out route. Um, sometimes uh, when he would just have like a hitch. Uh, you know, where he just has like a 10-yard stop route. I felt like he wasn't very good at creating separation on some of his breaks. Um, he was uh, he was at his best when he would 
use his speed to uh, when he was using his speed to create separation. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're like pulling away from a guy. Like you just run past him and just keep running past him. Sometimes it's just like threatening with the threatening with that vertical speed so that they start doing a bail and they start bailing out and then you throttle down real quick and you have a comeback route. And uh, when he was able to do that, that's when I thought he was at his best in his route running. Um, so I thought his brakes needed work. Um, another thing that I noticed was that contact, um, he needed to work on not, um, allowing himself to have contact made mid route. It definitely seemed like he would lose, um, some speed when he was allowed to be pressed. Um, and they were able to maintain contact throughout the, uh, throughout the route, or if they made contact during the rep. So say he was like running, trying to go through traffic. He wasn't always good at running his route through traffic. Sometimes he would get bumped here, nudged there, and it would really sap his speed. Um, so I'd like to see him be a little bit more, um, just technical with his route running in terms of navigating traffic. Um, and, Another thing was also just like in zone coverage. I thought there was a few times where he could have done better at uh, finding a soft spot in the zone. Sometimes he was really good at finding a soft spot. Sometimes he would settle down against zone coverage while still being covered. And, you know, if he were to move, you know, one or two yards and settle down in either direction, he would be in a soft spot in the zone. But instead he settled down and there'd be a guy right on him. Um, so those are a couple of things that I noticed that he needed to work on. Um, also noted that he needs to work a little bit on his releases. Um, he did seem like he was pretty good at the senior bowl, just in terms of like getting, uh, getting releases off of, uh, off of press coverage and, uh, getting away from jams. Um, I do like that he has uh, some solid handwork. Um, just in terms of when guys are jamming him, you know, being able to swat the arms away, um, you know, swimming past a guy, uh, in order to get, get past him. You know, there's that saying where if you're even you're leaving, um, that's definitely something where I noticed cause he has that four, three speed that if he was able to get past his defender, um, with that release and, you know, get his arms away and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, swat them away or whatever it is. If he was able to get free, he was basically like, like just go deep and just throw me the ball. The problem was his footwork off of his releases wasn't always the best. So I think that's something that again, like the technical aspect of the release needs to get worked on a little bit. Um, but the nice thing is, you know, you can scheme stuff out. You know, you can put a guy in the slot. You can put him in a stack formation. You can use motion. Uh, you can, you know, put him in a position where he's going up against off coverage instead of being, you know, pressed or jammed. Um, so there's ways that you can scheme guys uh, so that they don't have to worry too much um, about that. Um, but I definitely think he needs to work on his releases a little bit. He wasn't always... Uh, it was almost like he had a little bit of not quite an instant release. I'm trying to figure out the best way to put that. 
Um, but it was almost like he had a little bit of a rock in his step, a little bit of just like a rock or a body lean before he got his full release. Um, I think Matt Waldman, I was reading his scouting report and he was talking about not quite having a proper 80, 20 balance in his feet. So just a couple things, um, that he needs to work on, but you know, again, you can coach those things up. I don't think SMU has nearly the wide receiver coaching staff that the 49ers have. Um, you know, like the, the Niners, they coach their wide receivers hard. Like we saw like Brandon Ayuk, he was kind of in the doghouse for the first half of the season. Um, and they were like, we are coaching him extremely hard because we have very high expectations for him. And eventually it worked out. And Brandon Ayuk just blew up the second half of the season uh, with over 800 yards after not doing much the first half of the season. Um, so it's just a lot of technical things. And it's honestly just a lot of like little footwork things that I think he needs to work on. You know, like uh, when to like plant your leg here, or how to plant it and when to shift your weight here and how to evade like this guy as you're like weaving through traffic. Um, just, just kind of like little technical aspects that I think he needs to work on that I think could really take his route running and his releases, uh, to the next level. Um, as far as his catching and receiving ability, I love how he goes up to make the catch again, fearless. It's like, that's my ball. I love how he attacks the ball. Um, He'll go up, he'll high point it. He does a very good job um, tracking where he's downfield, the ball's in the air, and he's able to do very good tracking the ball, seeing where the ball's going to go, and then bringing it in. He has um, he has some concentration drops. I think that was the biggest issue is concentration drops, but it's not that he doesn't have the ability to make very, very impressive catches. And he made some very impressive catches. I think I watched three or four games of uh, cutups as his. And there were some catches where it was like, um, you know, he was, he was running like a corner route or a post route. He was wide open by five yards. The quarterback underthrows it. He tracks it. He sees it. He has to slow down. The defender runs into him and he has to jump over and in front of the defender and grab the ball with full outstretched hands and then just gets body slammed to the ground. And it's like, how the fuck did you catch that? Like the kid has some very impressive catching ability. Um, I think honestly, it's just a little bit of, you know, a concentration drop here, a concentration drop there. Uh, I believe he had seven seven drops this past season. Um, according to PFF, that was like one of the biggest things. I think he had over a 12% drop rate. But he also, 12% drop rate, not good. You know, you figure that's like nearly one out of every nine uh, passes. Or not passes, but targets. Uh, not good, but I mean, Debo's had concentration drops. Like some of the best players in the NFL have concentration drops. And I will be willing to take it if his average reception is like 20 yards. You know, I am okay with a concentration drop here and there. If you're giving, if, if let me put it this way, 
if he has seven drops this season, but he gives us 800 yards and nine touchdowns like he did in college, I don't fucking care about a couple drops. Like, yes, it sucks. Concentration drop. But you know what? The ball tracking, the speed, the threat, like everything, it makes up for it. And I believe that that's something that, again, you can you can work on, you can fix. Because he has the tracking, he has the eyes, he has the want to, and he has the physical ability to go out and snag the ball out of the air. Um, so yeah. And he had a, he has a good, uh, he has a good frame too, just in terms of like nearly 32 inch long arms. I think his arms are like 31 and, uh, 31 and seven eighths or 31 and three quarter inch arms. So, you know, good length, good hands, some concentration drops, but I'm willing to work with it. Uh, but yeah, I put down just impressive ball skills, ball track, ball tracking, impressive catches, some wow catches, good catch radius. I love how he tacks the ball. Uh, so those are some definitely some good things. Um, as far as blocking, I mentioned no block, no rock. So I like that he's a willing blocker again, uh, physical, He's physical and he's tough, but he's not strong. So he's definitely more than willing to go out there, throw blocks, try and maintain his blocks. Um, The want to is there. The willingness is there. Is he going to be as good of a blocker as, say, Juwan Jennings, who's nearly six foot four, 220 pounds? No, because Juwan Jennings has, you know, three, four inches of height and, you know, 30 pounds on him. But... Danny Gray is a willing blocker and that's honestly like that's to me. I think he's a good enough blocker and the willingness is there. And again, toughness. He might not be the most physically strong guy. He's a slender, you know, six foot one eighty six. I saw him out there in the couple little clips of rookie minicamp and he's out there wearing 86. He's thin. He looks thin, but he plays tough. He plays fearless. And uh, while he's not the physically strongest guy, he is definitely tough. He's physically tough and uh, mentally tough. Uh, but yeah, just overall big play wide receiver. Um, a couple of the routes that I liked the most from him, I think his best routes, uh, the double move. So that's, you know, when you uh, when you threaten vertically, you slow down uh, in order to get them thinking that you're going to, you know, in breaking route or out breaking route or whatever. But you threaten vertically, stop and then go. So like a stop and go um, double moves like I thought that was great because you get any kind of hesitation and then he just runs past you and there's no way that you're catching him. So I love the double move. Uh, I think he has a good post. Uh, so I think he runs a good post route. Um, I think he runs a really good comeback route. Again, being able to threaten vertically, uh, you threaten vertically, you get him backpedaling, then they start bailing, you get him to bail and then you, you stop and then you do a comeback and boom, you know, you just, you got a 10, 15, uh, 20 yard reception there. So love those. And I also thought he was really good on uh, slants. And again, with the slant, like you threaten vertically, they back off, just one cut, break it, uh, break inside, and uh, he can take a slant to the house. So I thought those were probably his best moves that I saw. 
Um, again, double move, post, comeback, slants. Um, I do remember that I think his three cone drill, I think he didn't have the best three cone. Like it was like a seven, two, eight. So that might be why uh, I could see him struggling a little bit on some routes, just not having that super tight ability to just make like very sharp cuts. Um, but again, you're talking about a, a, he's best on vertical, a vertical route tree. Um, so I could see him maybe struggling a little bit on some routes, uh, like the blaze out, you know, where it's like you fake a post and then you really are running just like a, a flat out route, um, or, a, or like a post corner, like maybe he like struggles a little bit or just like a pure, like just an in, you know, a basic in route. I could see there being some, um, some routes that he struggles on, um, but honestly, like, again, you're the vertical route tree. I think those are his best routes. I'm trying to think if there's anything else uh, where, yeah, ultimately, like he was best on routes when he was able to threaten with speed in order to create separation and a cushion. And as long as he was able to avoid contact throughout the route, he was able to get separation using his speed. Um, I don't think he's necessarily going to be winning um, his routes purely off of his uh, footwork initially, although he can definitely improve on that. Uh, I think those technical aspects are where he's going to need to develop. And then, uh, yeah, one thing that uh, just a couple like PFF notes, uh, PFF give him a 77 out of 100 receiving grade, uh, 87 grade versus man. So he's very good versus man. A 57% contested catch rate, which is very good. I think that was like 75th percentile. Again, like he can make some impressive wow throws. And the quarterback that he was playing with there at SMU didn't have the strongest arm. There was more than one underthrown passes that led to an impressive catch by him uh, where he had a guy beat, had to slow down, showed impressive tracking, impressive ball skills, and made an impressive catch. And uh, again, you know, work on the drops, work on the technical aspects of the route running. And then the yards after catch, uh, just again, 11th out of all wide receivers and yards after catch coming out of the draft. Um, that's huge. You know, again, like take a slant to the house, catch and run. Um, I do think that he has very good vision after the catch of just knowing like how to split defenders and get vertical, um, you know, hitting, hitting the seam in between two collapsing defenders and just believing in his speed. So, um, yeah, very, very excited about Danny gray. Uh, and he seems like a no nonsense kid that, I mean, he's been playing football since he was four years old. Uh, and he's from Texas. So I, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, lastly, we're going to finish up uh, with this rookie scouting report episode of uh, Spencer Burford and Spencer Burford, uh, University of Texas, San Antonio, six foot four, 305 pounds, uh, the 35 inch arms. I always think that's important to uh, to know. So Spencer Burford, um, highest recruit 
ever to go to University of Texas San Antonio at the time. Uh, Four-year starter. Uh, primarily played left guard and left tackle. He did play some right tackle as well. Um, as far as his frame goes, I could definitely see him adding like a, a solid like 10, 15 uh, pounds of good NFL weight, good NFL muscle. And one of the things I love about this pick is the youth. Just barely 21 years old. Um, just funny kid, but here's the thing is at 21 years old, like he hasn't even got his grown man strength yet. I remember that, uh, like, geez, like I was definitely at my strongest, uh, when I was doing powerlifting, like in my, in my mid and late twenties, uh, like I hit my personal record on deadlifting when I was 20, uh, eight years old. I think with like uh, over 400 pounds. First time I hit like 415, I was like 22. Um, but I hit 435 when I was 28. You know, you, you gain more strength as you age with strength training. Um, so he definitely has getting in an NFL weight room, 21 years old. I think he has, in my opinion, I think he can develop into a quality offensive tackle, uh, they're saying that they drafted him for guard, but I saw enough athleticism and I believe that he has the length um, to play offensive tackle, especially if he's able to build some strength, build that anchor, uh, refine his technique. Um, I could definitely see him playing uh, left tackle or right tackle. Um, obviously, we have McGlinchey, but... McGlinchey only has one year and he's coming off of an injury. So who knows who's going to play right tackle in 2023. Uh, Trent Williams. We love Trent Williams at left tackle, but Trent Williams is 32 years old. He can't play forever. So yeah. And I mean, who's going to play left guard? Who's going to play right guard? Um, I like the athleticism. I really like, again, the length, um, 35 inch long arms like those are that's ideal for an offensive tackle. You see a lot of these offensive tackles in college where they've got like 32, 33 inch long arms and it's almost like they kind of have to kick into guard. Um, Spencer Burford, while he's not 6'6", he's got the length and I think the length is more important than the height at offensive tackle. If I remember correctly, Trent Williams is like 6'4", like 320 something. Um, so I could definitely see Spencer Burford developing that, uh, developing into that. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to be Trent Williams at all, but the thought of, you know, right now he's six four, three oh four, three oh five. I could see him in an NFL weight room over the next couple seasons, getting up to, you know, six four, three fifteen, six four, six five. Maybe he grows another inch. 6'5", 220, uh, and then now you got 6'5", 220, NFL strength, 35-inch long arms, good athleticism. You work on his hand technique a little bit. Um, I, uh, I like it. It's, and again, with the film, um, again, you're talking about a fourth-round pick. Um, I'm not expecting a fourth-round pick to come in and be an all pro. 
Um, but what I am seeing is I see a four-year starter who's very young. He's got some good traits. He's got a lot of room to develop physically as well as technically. And uh, I could definitely see him developing into a quality offensive lineman. Uh, again, whether that's left tackle, right tackle, swing tackle, left guard, right guard. Um, I think at the moment, I would be a little bit concerned putting him in at guard um, just because I'm not sure how good of an anchor he has. That was probably the biggest critique I heard of him, and I also noticed that a little bit, was uh, sometimes he struggled a little bit with leverage. And, uh, well, I guess let's just talk about what he kind of struggled with. Um, there was a few things that I noticed consistently where it looked like he was struggling. And, uh, again, I didn't watch a ton, but I watched, like, two game cut-ups of offensive line playing. You know, there's 60 or 70 offensive plays. So, you know, I probably watched around 100 reps of his fairly quickly, you know. Um, but, you know, watching all those reps, uh, the things that it I thought that he struggled with, um, sometimes he struggled a little bit with leverage. So just letting somebody get under him at six, four, I would like it if you would be able to play with better leverage. Um, I also noticed that he struggled a bit when it came to lateral counters. Um, so if someone came right at him, if he's able to use his length and get his hands on you and control you, then he was usually pretty good. However, after that first move, if sometimes they did like a lateral move where they would, you know, break to the outside and then go back inside, there was a couple times where he whiffed where he tried to overset on the outside and then they would come back with an inside move and then he would struggle to recover from that. And there were a few plays where it looked like he could get called for holding. I don't remember him getting called for holding at all. But I definitely saw his arm extended when he got beat to the inside. And it was usually on a uh, where they were doing an outside move. He would overset and then he was not quite able to recover. Um, and he was, you know, either beat with a beat with an outside fake to an inside move or um, where he was beat with like a second move. So he would, you know, make contact. Uh, get a grip, but then they were able to use their second hand move, swipe, rip, whatever thing, their hand move. I'm not a defensive line coach. <laughs> the second move, sometimes he would get beat on and then he would have to try and recover a little bit. Um, the uh, So those were probably the two main things. Um, let's see here. So countering second moves and lateral moves, um, I did mention the uh, the almost holding and uh, some of the leverage things that were a little bit of a concern. Uh, things that I did like, um, I liked his Senior Bowl tape. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I didn't have a chance to watch the Senior Bowl game, but I did try and watch all of his um, Senior Bowl practice one-on-one -on -one reps. And I thought he did pretty well. If I remember correctly, I think that he had, uh, it was five or six reps that I saw. And I believe that he only lost one of them. I thought he did really well against uh, a speed rusher. 
Um, I think that uh, he went up against uh, Kingsley and Ogbare uh, three times, and I think that he won uh, two of the th- three times. I also think that he did better on the second day, um, and they were mostly having him play at left tackle, and then I did see one rep where he played right tackle. Uh, he didn't look as good at right tackle, but he did win his rep. Uh, and again, he does have some experience playing right tackle. Uh, let me see if I can bring up his uh, PFF stuff real quick. Is my mouse going to work? There we go. Um, so per PFF, Spencer Burford, he played 143 snaps at right tackle in the 2020 season. So probably three games at right tackle, uh, two, two and a half games, I would say two and a half games at right tackle, maybe two. Um, he has mostly played left tackle the last two years. It sounds like uh, two games at right tackle. Uh, and then, of course, a season at left guard. Uh, so he's most comfortable on the left side. Um, as far as a, uh, how much potential he'll be playing, I think realistically, if he is going to get a starting role on this team, it is likely that he is going to beat out Aaron Banks and whoever else for the left guard position. Left guard's really up in the air right now without Lake and Tomlinson. Um, and you're basically looking at either Aaron Banks or Spencer Burford. Um, we still don't know what's going to happen with Alex Mack, if he's going to be back or not. I think if Alex Mack does retire, you're looking at Dan Brunskill kicking into center, uh, which then leaves a right guard position. So now you're kicking Brunskill into center, uh, which now you don't know who your left guard is or your right guard. Uh, So maybe you put Banks at left guard and uh, then you put Burford at right guard. Or maybe Zakel wins the right guard position. Or maybe McKivitz or maybe Jalen Moore when one of them wins the right guard or the left guard. Um, the left and right guard, we realistically have about five or six guys that are competing for those two spots. Um, and I think left or right guard is the most likely option for him. Um, I don't like the idea of playing guys out of position. And, uh, I also don't like the idea of switching offensive linemen side, uh, sides with, to the side that they don't have experience doing. And, you know, if he has... 2,000 reps between left guard and left tackle uh, versus 200 reps at right guard, I'd much rather prefer him stick on the left side. Um, Ultimately, though, that's not up to me. That's up to the coaching. That's just kind of my general thoughts on that. Um, I did really like his run blocking. He is a mean run blocker. Um, there were a couple times where he, where he whiffed, uh, on his blocks, just, uh, I don't know what it was exactly. Again, you're kind of watching this tape and again, I'm, I'm not spending hours and hours watching the all 22. I'm spending, you know, a half hour watching game cutoffs, you know, watch 50, 60, hundred reps and see what I can figure out from it. Um, so there was a couple times that he whiffed. Um, but then there was other times where he just gets to the second level and just smashes a guy. Uh, there was a couple pancakes in there. There was a few where he just like crushed a guy. Um, but 
again, like he's 21 years old, barely 21. Give him some time in an NFL weight room, put on five, 10 pounds, build some grown man strength. Uh, I really like it. Work on his, his technical refinements of, uh, in, uh, in pass pro. Um, and again, he, he did very good at the senior bowl, uh, from what I saw in pass protection. And one thing I love about the senior bowl is you are a draft eligible player who is probably going to get drafted going up against other NFL caliber draftable players who are going to get drafted. If you're holding your own at the senior bowl, then that means that you at the very least belong at the NFL level, in my opinion. Um, so I do like that he, that he did well at the senior bowl. Ultimately, um, I think that when I saw him win the most, I was seeing him win with his length, meaning he was able to, um, he was able to use his athleticism either like laterally and pass pro. And he was able to use his long arms, get first contact. If he was able to get first contact and get good hand placement and good grip and get his guy, he was good in pass pro his anchor. Excuse me. His anchor and his leverage weren't always the best, but if he had hands on, uh, he was usually winning that rep if he got the initial contact because he had that length to keep guys at bay so that he was able to win that rep. When he didn't win the rep was usually when he was beat with a fake, he was beat with a counter, um, or he didn't have good initial hand placement. And so he then struggled to maintain the block. And this was the same thing that I noticed um, in pass pro as it was in downfield blocking, where he was at his best when he was able to use his leverage, his length, get the initial contact and drive with his legs. Uh, he was able to use his athleticism to get to the second level and then make contact when he wasn't able to get that initial contact. There was a couple whiffs, a couple misses. Um, but overall I liked his attitude in the run blocking. And, uh, I did like a lot of what I saw in pass pro. Um, and another good thing is just another durable player, uh, four year starter, no injuries that I'm aware of. Didn't miss any games. Didn't miss any time. So that's great. Um, and then the only other weird thing was, uh, watching, watching, uh, the, what couple games I did watch, there was some weird stuff with like his, uh, the assignments or the protection where they were having him like double team with a guard and they were leaving like a free rusher. Um, so I'm not sure if that was just an, an odd coaching decision, um, where they were like, you know, Hey, we, we don't want you blocking the backside rusher. We'd rather have you double team this guy with that guard. Um, it was just kind of odd. Some of the, uh, some of the assignments, um, and, uh, the, the protection, uh, the protections that they had. Um, so I don't even know if those were like bad plays or not. I just thought that they were odd, um, protection assignments. So Anyways, that's Spencer Burford. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much everything. So 
I hope that you enjoyed it. I wanted to get out, obviously, a scouting report. Danny Gray, Spencer Burford. Uh, we've still got a few more, so um, the schedule's released. We went over that. Rookie minicamp happened. Um, I think there's another, like, OTA or something coming up here in, like, a week. So we'll get, you know, some more little, like, snippet clips and tidbits and probably a couple other little, like, interviews here and there um, here within the next week or so. Um, obviously if something big happens, uh, you know, we'll talk about that, but I think the next episode, uh, we're just going to continue with the film breakdowns. Uh, so next up I will probably end up doing, uh, Sam Womack and, uh, Nick Zakelj, uh, or Nick Zakel, however you pronounce that funky name. It's a silent J like yogging. <laughs> Uh, I don't remember who had that uh, Anchorman joke, but it was funny. Uh, or a soft J, <laughs> yogging. <laughs> uh, apparently you just run for an extended period of time. Yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> um, so yeah, Sam Womack and Nick Zakel. It will probably be the most difficult film to find uh, because I don't know where you get uh, Toledo, All-22, or Fordham. Uh, so that's going to be fun to find, but that'll be the next episode was we'll be doing, uh, the breakdown of those players. Um, again, we've already done our quick hits, our quick initial takes after the draft. I'm trying to get a little more in depth. Obviously I'm not the perfect scout, but I'll try and watch two or three games and, uh, give you my thoughts after that. Uh, until next time, like, uh, uh I almost said like, appreciate, subscribe. <laughs> Uh, I, if you do appreciate it, then I appreciate you, uh, like comment, subscribe, share, follow, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies. And, uh, as always go Niners.